All right, welcome back to the second episode of the Chalice Chasers podcast. We are about a month into the MLB season, and uh, a lot has taken place since we uh, we last um, recorded a podcast. And um, I'm super excited about the guest we have on today. Um, so he reigns from the Central Bucks East cohort. Uh, he has been in the league for eight years. And uh, without further ado, uh, I'd like to introduce everyone to Mike Gleason. How you doing, Mike? Appreciate you having me on. Uh, first time caller here, uh, representing the East side of things. I would love to see the metrics on uh, viewership or listenership uh, East for South. Oh, that's I'm I couldn't agree more. Uh, what do you uh, do? You have a hunch? What do you think that breakdown is? I would imagine Greg drew some some good views or lessons i don't do we still have our belgian listener i don't know if he's we, told any of his friends yet we do and uh you you, you bring up a great point i uh, for all the uh people tracking our international following we actually got another international listener since the oh, first yeah. since the first uh uh episode we now have a listener in hamlin germany of course right just uh, we're we're making our way through uh, Northern Europe. You know, baseball is trying to grow the game, and I don't think they have any further to look than this podcast. <laughs> I really appreciate those kind words. Well, uh, um, Mike, I was I was looking through your bio, and um, I was trying to like pick out some of your the um, you know really reputable facts for the listeners out there who uh, might not know your history. And, um, you know, I, I wasn't, so I'm not one to speak because I am in the basement of the league in terms of winning percentage. And uh, you, however, I noticed are about um, right smack dab in the middle with a um, about a, a little under 500% winning percentage. And um, your greatest claim to fame though, I found was that you had a playoff buy in 2019 during the first season of the head-to-head uh, categories league. I think that is the big skeleton in the closet is despite having that buy, I don't think I've ever actually won a playoff game. So I was, I'm going to take that uh, almost 500 record. I was a little nervous. It might be worse, but we really need to get a good uh, playoff win in this year and hopefully a couple. The 2010s, much like the Phillies, uh, weren't too kind to the Gleason franchise, but I think with the uh, the daily format and uh, the categories, this is going to be a good decade. I uh, I wish you nothing but success. You hit on a couple things there. I'd love to ask you about. Uh, first is that um, that 2019 team that you uh, um, you did get that buy with, but you didn't win that playoff game. Do you remember who you had on that team? And, and it, <sighs> I um I wrote it out here. I was asking more along the lines of men. You had some mashers. You I, your end your end of season team had Kettle Marte. That was the year he yeah. had like thirty some odd bombs. Rafael Devers, Trey Turner, Br- Bryce Harper, and George Springer. And George Springer had a, almost forty home runs that year. That was a good team, and I think that was the year. So we were categories, right? But we were doing wins and losses. I. Do I have that right? So I think we might have been. I'm not sure. We might have. 
I no, believe no. though that was the year like I started out and it was just a, a horrible start and it really caught on towards the end. Um, I think I might've got Bryce off of Kevin, if I remember correctly. Um, but yeah, I do think that was the last time I could actually draft live. Um, so I've made it, I was thinking about today, I've made it the utmost priority to make the uh, draft this year. I was a little unhappy about uh, my drafting situation this year and was sad I couldn't do it live with you guys. Yeah, um, I uh, we were sad as well. It wasn't the same this year, and hopefully we can get back to the uh, um, the regular routine. Those past drafts we had were a lot of fun. I think we uh, it'd be good to get like some sort of winter meetings type thing too to uh, talk out the rules, but really just get the group together. It's been a long time since we had uh, the full league together. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more on both of those things. And so I, I still have a few um, kind of introductory, uh, introduction questions I wanted to ask you, but uh, you kind of hit on something there that I, we can't ignore and we have to just jump into right away, that, that idea of the winter meetings. Um, what, like, because you brought it up and I loved your point of view and I loved your, your, um, activeness around it. What are you thinking about the league right now? And, uh, just the format, uh, the pros, the cons, um, what would you do if you could change things? Like, I'd love to just get your opinion a little bit on the current state of the Chalice Chasers League. Yeah, I, I think I was ultra focused on that. Um, since I was, I said in the group, but I was playing you the week before and I felt like I was just throwing pictures out there at the end um, just to try to collect some of those counting stats, as I was calling them. Um, and then Kevin got out to a really early lead and I'm like, this is this is how the whole year is going to go, I think. Um, so I'm glad we made the change. Credit to the league for pivoting on the fly. Um, it's tough. I mean, this is why I could never go into politics. It's like, you think you have a solution to a problem, you put it in, everybody was on board for the most part with the daily lineups, um, definitely fixes the injury problem and you know some of the other little things with the weekly lock. And then all of a sudden it opens up like three other little problems that we might not have realized. So I think with any major change like that, we uh, just have to, to learn from it, not to make it sound like it's this big emotional thing, but um, I, I think we made a good pivot to fix it for this year. And I think if we did have a winter meetings or we could actually talk out the rules, we could have it pretty figured out going into next year. I don't know where your, your head is on the, uh, on the pivot and if you think it fixed everything. Yeah, I, um, I agree with you in regards to... Um the fact that we needed a change uh, because like you, I wasn't um, all over the streamers to try to just get those counting stats, but I felt like it was a, um, it was a disservice to those that aren't as active. Like they were like, there was a couple people who, you know, have, you know, less than 10 transactions so far and we're a month into the season and there's nothing wrong with that, but like, they're going to get trucked crushed most of the time on K's because it's, it just turns into a volume thing. And so I'm with you there. I don't know if we have a fix long term right now, like it, it'll work for this season, but I'm curious to see if going forward, if it would make sense to change it to a ratio or, um, you know, just uh, 
mess with it a little bit because I completely agree with you. Like, like we thought daily was fixing one thing, uh, you know, that idea of players being locked and then it creates, we fix one issue while creating a whole nother one. So it'll be interesting to see, but I, uh, I imagine that we could, uh, have some winter meetings and, um, you know, really, uh, really having around the horn and get, get everyone's opinion. Yeah. We have, more than enough smart people in the league. I think, I think we're closer than we are far. Um, I kind of fell into it to be honest, because I don't know how you felt about the draft this year, but I felt like maybe it's just the MLB in general, but it, it feels like the good pitchers dried up pretty quickly. And it was definitely quicker than I thought. Like we got into the Eduardo Perez or Eduardo, um, Rodriguez. Yeah. Opinion. Yeah. I think, I think Rodriguez, right. Yeah. Uh, he's on my own team. Or, uh, <laughs> like the Ryu, like got into, I think that was like my second and third pitchers I picked, which, you know, they're solid, I guess they have some history, but um, I was kind of like, damn, I staff went from starting with Bieber to being pretty weak, pretty quick. Um, and then with my auto draft towards the end, I was kind of just picking up all of the guys who were hurt, but still up in the ESPN rankings. Um, so I kind of had to fall into that streamer strategy, which given the rule change kind of wasn't the worst way to go about it. But I think one of my favorite things with fancy baseball, it's a little nerdy, but when picking streamers, it's, I, I just like love that rush of, it feels like a huge risk because odds are if that guy's sitting out there, he's more than capable of giving up eight runs and getting shelled. Um, but every once in a while, if you strike gold on one of those guys, it's cool. Um, and I, I feel like, just, more. I feel like the fear of, you know, like Kevin said, or um, picking a random guy on a Sunday who's pitching at Coors field, like there should be consequences. Uh for making a play like that, like a high risk, high reward, but it didn't feel like we were there with the, uh, the rule shift. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And, um, I was the, I was on the opposite end of that. You had done that to me on a Sunday with, uh, you started that player at, uh, Coors Field, Chad Cool, and Madison Bumgarner. And man, they were both great streams for you. Both of those guys, you know, going into the day, I was, I thought they were both going to get shelled and they threw gems for you. And, um, you know, I, I couldn't grab an extra category because you just really, uh, you really slammed the door there. And, uh, so I didn't realize on the other end of it, you were, uh, you were getting a rush from, uh, from that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you got the, uh, the wrong end of Chad cool. He, uh, gave up six runs pretty quick yesterday. So that party might be over, but like I said, I think we're closer than we are far. I do think later in the year, not to give people ideas, but the daily still does have some flaws. Um, I was kind of poking around at the teams. Usually I'm just focused on who I'm playing. And I, I think it's funny. You get to know like somebody else's team to the point where when you get to the next week, I, I see like JT real Muto, like hit a home run. I'm like, ah, oh, that's, that's whoever I was playing last week, but you know, you're already on to somebody else. Um, I, I like what Tim's doing where he has a ton of relievers, but then he also has starters. And I think this is what you were kind of alluding to with the activeness. Um, 
you know, you only need a starter in that starting lineup when you, that person's pitching. So you might as well replace them with all relievers uh, when they're not pitching and you can pick up wins and a couple strikeouts along the way. Um, so I, I'm probably jumping segments into the rest of the league, but I think he's doing a good job with the, uh, the latest rules. No, I, I totally agree there. And he's got the, the shallower um, hitting squad, but then he's got them all, you know, he's got most of it um, on his pitching bench and it does seem to be working. Uh, so you, you touched on a couple of things there that I'd love to get into and just kind of like the way you approach fantasy baseball. And I guess I'll, I'll start first with just this fact that I found interesting and I think the league might find interesting and that um, one, you've been in the league for eight years now. You've done the league eight years. It doesn't feel like that long, does it? Like that's a long amount of time. It doesn't. And I was trying to think back to where, how this all started. And I think Holocong had like the Holocong CDs. I think we're the only people who like still refer to ourselves as our middle school um, <laughs> world, but um, we had like a pretty good thing going. It was mostly the football kids, everybody. I think like, you know, the Phillies were good at the time. So between middle school and high school, we had our own league. And then I feel like the baseball interest really fell off after that. Um, I don't know if that's totally due to the Phillies or just getting into college. And it was kind of perfect because that's right when we met Kevin and all of you guys and kind of formed like a, a champions league of sorts. I think it was only a couple of us at first. Um, but I, yeah, now it's been a while because we met Kevin right away freshman year. And I think we were, in the baseball league, maybe like 2013. Um, yeah, it was, yeah. it was 2013. You, uh, um, I'd have to look, but were you, did you join when, when all the guys from East joined? I think so. Um, I think, I think you probably did too. I'd have to check it that out. might have been me, Tim Carter Connor. I think so. Um, I think 2013 is the year, this might have been the last time I complained about the rules, actually. Uh, <laughs> I think I had Miguel Cabrera, I believe, during his Triple Crown year. I forgot if it was that year or not. Um, and Chris Davis had like more points than him because that was the year he hit 50 home runs or whatever it was, but he was batting 230. And I'm like, okay, this is a little broken if a triple crown winner is not the best player in baseball. Um, that, that's just like a, a funny tidbit. I remember from the early days. No, that's perfect. And that lines up with a lot of the, the people in the league talking about how the, we needed a change uh, because we were just so home run heavy. Like the league was basically just designed to get whoever could mash home runs. Right. And I remember that, games or weeks kind of just ended if like yesterday or maybe it was two days ago Christian Yelich hit for the cycle like that's just a weekender or like if there used to be more but if there's like a no hitter that was like 100 points and that was the end um, right so I do I don't know how you feel about categories versus points I know it's been a long history going back and forth but are you liking categories is this where you wanted to land yeah I do like it um and uh, I'm curious your opinion as well. But for me, uh, 
I like that aspect of not being out of it on Tuesday. Like you said, like uh, whoever was playing Christian Yelich that week's over. Um, I, there's just something about it. The categories that where like um, it makes Sundays really uh, fun because they kind categories are kind of like a snapshot in time, like uh, how you're doing against that team for the whole week. Some of the counting stats, but really um, it moves around so much. And so I just really enjoy that because it makes like Sunday feel like Sundays during the football season. But I'm, I'm curious your opinion, if you prefer, and this is kind of getting into a little bit of like how you approach fantasy baseball and how active you are and what you're doing behind the scenes, because like you even alluded to yourself, you're, um, you know, you're not as vocal, but that doesn't mean you're not active. Um, uh, like um, I, I just really like um, having that Sunday and it being that way. But again, it takes a little bit of effort. Are you in agreement? Like, or do you like the points league, set it and forget it, simple, fun, rah-rah type stuff? No, I, I really enjoy the categories. I do think, to your point, it just makes it a more well-balanced week. And there's always something to focus on. I mean, you might get part of the way through the week and you realize you're not going to sweep all the categories or even win all the categories. But going into Sunday or Saturday, there's always something. Um, so I, I think that's been a cool part of categories. We talked earlier about, you know, maybe a ratio would affect things. I do like within the categories that they're a bit tangible. Like, you know, your two home runs or a couple strikeouts or whatever it is back. Um, so when you're watching the game, you kind of know what you're rooting for. But if it all goes to ratios, it will be a little hard to tell, I think. Um, yeah. Even if the ratio is the fairest way. Um, I don't know. I just like watching the game and you kind of know how it's affecting your fantasy matchup. Um, I don't the, know. If you have the one, on well, the one, the one argument to that and uh, which I would kind of be in favor in. And again, this is a topic for maybe another time, but uh, um, having more of a set structure for your pitchers like not just having um, pitchers that can be anything like uh, and what I mean by that is a lot of head to head categories leagues do you need two starters, two relievers, and then you get like a set amount of wild card pitchers. And oh, yeah. in, do in doing that, it kind of, um, if you do that with the limits, you really then, you know, could probably stick with K's cause I'm, I'm with you. You move to all ratios and um, I don't know, it does kind of, get a little foggy yeah no I, I love that idea actually um because then at least it's apples to apples on it's not all starters playing all relievers right now we have definitely a format where it's about strategy and I kind of like um like we said I don't, I don't think it's perfect but when I play somebody each week I kind of realize everybody has a different strategy I just got taken to the cleaners on every pitching um stat by connor last week and then you move on to somebody else and they're all batters heavy um so i think that is cool um but going back to your initial question i, I kind of deviated there i've been loving uh since i had to basically buy mlb extra innings uh for being down here i just like couldn't do the streaming uh for the phillies every night um, 
so I bought MLB extra innings. Uh, it's kind of funny. You know, was, you know the league has it, right? Oh, I do. But <laughs> okay, my bad. It's actually kind of funny. It was a total miscalculation by me. But basically, when I was streaming, it bothers me. This is a ridiculous problem to have to have to go in between apps, like when you're flipping around, um, and then the MLB TV can be behind like a minute or whatever because it's streaming and I would see it come up on my phone. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to fix this going forward for the rest of the year. I'll pay the 140 bucks or whatever it is uh, on Xfinity. Turns out Xfinity, it's just the same exact stream. So it's still a minute behind. (laughs) It's so slow switching in between those channels for whatever reason. So drop that money on the ground. But I have enjoyed just if I see one of my players up or have somebody pitching, like I love just going over to that game and uh, watching. So it is, fun. it is fun. Yeah. I, I feel like I've watched more baseball than ever. I'm glad the Phillies are kind of back. I don't know if I fully believe in them, but at least they have a, a full lineup and a couple of good starters. Well, you might be, you might be one of the biggest Phillies fans in the league. So tell me about that a little bit. Like, have you always been this big of a Phillies fan? Cause you might log the most watched Phillies hours uh, in the entire league. And those might be fighting words. I'm sure there's some people out there that are, uh, you know, would want to prove their fandom, but have, like, I'd love to just know a little bit more about that. Like uh, what's going on with that? Well, if true, um, it's a sad crown to wear. Um, <laughs> but you know, it, it was definitely, I think the, the 07 through 2011 era, uh, definitely shaped that. And then it's a little sad to think how much of the last 10 years I've watched the Phillies and we haven't even made the playoffs, but I kind of love it as a, uh, a summer thing, you know, it's always going to be on at seven o'clock or during work. Uh, you get the one or the four o'clock game. Um, so I enjoy it. I think it's cool being down here um, and getting like the games out of market or we even go down to the Marlins stadium, which is horrible, by the way. Um, so I enjoy stadium it. stadium itself is horrible or oh the team? I, I could do a podcast on the Marlins stadium. <laughs> you got to give it, us some insight. It's... Uh, for context i'll i'll wrap this up quick we splurged a little bit on tickets marlins wise uh it was their home opener it was like 140 bucks to like sit basically on the field and for a phillies game you know even when they're bad you can't sit down like on the field for that amount you get there and one, there's like no hype around that team. Nobody cares, but at least on opening day, there's like some hope and there's a decently filled stadium. Um, so you like go in and then you're just like walking through this hallway to get to these seats that are low along the field level. You're just like in a hallway and it looks like you're in like the back alleys of like the vet, like they're, <laughs> these are their premium seats. So I don't know. There was like a bar that like wasn't in service. And then you get down there and they brag about their in-seat service, but like (laughs) it was all like assorted candy, like Bud Light and hot dogs. So like, you know, I was good for one Bud Light and like one hot dog. But after that, I'm like, okay, well, you know, maybe we get something else to eat. 
Um, I don't want to just keep eating hot dogs. <laughs> so to get back up into the main stadium, you have to uh, you have to take like a elevator. Like there's no other way to get up. You can't walk up. So you have to like wait for this elevator. It took like 10 minutes, get up to there. And the guy drops us off on the top floor and he just goes, I hate my job. I'm like, like, okay. So now, and then I felt like he couldn't bring us back down because he just told us he hates his job. So we're like walking around the like top level of the stadium. Meanwhile, we had seats on the field and just trying to find something to eat. And we like eventually get around and she's like, yeah, the only way you can get down is through that elevator. So we did like this whole lap, go back down. And then I felt like I was just back in a, like a horrible airport. Um, they only have so many vendors. Um, and the stadium was, like I said, like pretty packed. Um, maybe there was 20,000 people there. So every line was just 45 minutes, even just to buy a water. Um, I just feel like they need like the Reading Phillies in there or like some ballpark director to clean that up. Cause it is, it's built like they only expect 5,000 people, I guess. And that's wild. That's hysterical, man. Games, 80 games a year, I guess it is. But it yeah, sounds I, like, it sounds like you need to uh, get in there and whip that place into shape. Yeah, honestly, I might make it my, uh, my dream, just like, a, I guess Jeter's out of there, but whoever's next. Um, would you, what stadium would you, irrespective of the Phillies, what stadium would you try to replicate or like what parts of other stadiums would you pick and choose if you were uh, um, King of the Marlins stadium? Wow. This is actually a good question. I was originally like my family had like set out to try to do every ballpark, not like it was our life mission, but anytime we were in a city over the summer, we would try to go. So we got to... I think like 17 or 18 of them I've been to. Um, and the ones that were missing, I, I feel like aren't the most desirable one. Like haven't made it out to Oakland or um, haven't made it to like the new Braves or the Nationals. But I feel like Camden Yards has it figured out. These are all kind of the ones that get all the credit anyways. But San Francisco was just so cool. Um, I don't know if you've, been out there but looking out over the water it's just it's a cool ballpark I bet I have not been there it's, it's on the bucket list oh uh, last funny stat about the Marlins again I'm, I'm full of them you can't they have a, re, a retractable roof that they brag about um it will come off in 10 minutes you know weather's kind of crazy down here sometimes so if they see a storm moving in can close it up you can't put the roof open unless it's under 78 degrees which never happens like in general maybe like in january and then it has to be during the day so you need to find this perfect day (laughs) where it's below 78 degrees i don't even know when this could happen it would have to be like the first game of the year and it has to be during the day so otherwise you just walk in from gorgeous weather and you're inside and it's just like kind of dark in there it's uh, it sounds like a like a glorified shopping mall. It is. I honestly, yeah, and that's a good way to put it. It's like uh, one of those super shopping malls. And then, like I said, the 
food situations just like you feel like you're in an airport it's like you just kind of end up taking whatever you can get and <laughs> yeah that that does not sound uh that does not sound like the um the diamond club at the uh, citizens bank park that you no, that, <laughs> yeah i guess you you get what you pay for but that was well, my uh, my rant on miami but no one else that's amazing i don't know if anyone in the league or even if any of our listeners have uh ever seen a game at marlin stadium and so if you have you'll have to let us know i think you might uh you might be the first one there um (laughs) but that's hysterical but then so so bringing it back then to this season um for baseball i'd love to know what's your what's your general like and you don't have to get into like a philosophical strategy but like what are you a stats guy like how do you kind of approach um you know drafting or like um you know uh just strategy in general, like what, um, what's your, what's your go-to? I, I mean, I guess all of this has to be taken with a grain of salt since I don't have any playoff wins. Um, but part of me, I, I feel like the league got a sense of this is I love that fancy baseball gets me to watch baseball if there's a Phillies guy there, I love to have him because I know I'm going to be watching that more often than not. Um, or just like players I really like. So that I can't lie. Like I'm not going by strict numbers on some of those decisions. The other thing I felt this year um, too often, I, I just feel like I'm the one without like a catcher or a top closer or like a top starter. And those are problems that are, really hard to fix later in the year. Um, Nobody's just like trading Max Scherzer for fun or else you really have to pay for it. Um, So I feel like I went out this year and I got Hendricks early, who's been okay, but like, I'm not too worried about him. Got Will Smith early, went for Bieber early. I kind of wish I had slightly better pitching. Um, But as long as those guys show up, I just love not having to worry about those like tough to get positions for the rest of the year. Right. Um, So I I definitely went after that this year. I feel like my hitting is in a really good spot right now. Um, You have five of the top 25 players on the player radar right now. Yeah. um, I don't know how sustainable, like the the guys I have are big names. So I I guess I could somewhat expect it to stay up, but I'm getting like way too much out of Anthony Rizzo right now. Um, Byron Buckley's due for his injury. You've got um, all these guys are uh, kind of fall into that bucket of um, like uh, reverting to the mean a little bit. Like, was that part of your show? So, for example, for the listeners out there who don't know uh, the players we're talking about, Mike Scott, Aaron Judge, Mike Trout, uh, Anthony Rizzo, Byron Buxton, and Christian Yelich. Uh, so he's very outfield heavy, um, to say the least. But um, uh, these guys are all crushing the ball right now. And, you know, last season, between injuries, this and that, wasn't great for them. Like, did you – was that – is this just – by random chance this year or were you more along the lines of like these guys are dropping a little bit even trout i mean you got him what six like like was that purposeful were you thinking that or were you just like you know what i'm not gonna try to forecast what's going on these guys can bop and i'm gonna take a chance 
I think that was definitely, it got to those picks and I'm like kind of surprised. It makes sense. Like you said, with maybe not having great years last year, whatever the reason is being injury prone, which, you know, is still out there. But I think Yelich was in the sixties. Buxton was in the eighties. I'm like, these could be top 20 guys if they play like the name on their Jersey. Um, but you said revert back to the mean. I think we're seeing a little bit about with that with those guys, but I'm also nervous it's going to revert back back to the mean. And these guys are a little over the hill, and in some cases, and uh, maybe overperforming. Honestly, I'm just pumped. Mike Trout's playing well. Um, I've watched more Angels this year than I ever have in my life, and it's it's only May. Um, so happy so, with that pick. I have as well. Um, and uh, it pains me to see, like yesterday, I'm watching Shohei Otani. He strikes out the side in the six. They want to take him out, and he waves the coach off. Like, this guy is just amazing. And then they cut to the fans cheering after he strikes out the side, and there's no one there. Yeah. It's like, what is going on? Like, get this guy – in, and I mean, the angels are electric and you'd think they've got a decent history. Like why is no one there watching between trout and him? Like, it's just strange. Have you seen that as well? Definitely. And usually it's, I mean, if he's pitching, like people should be there no matter what. Um, but now they're good too. And I, I think they actually have a decent shot this year at winning the West. Um, so if you can't get fans in when you have two of the best players in baseball, two of the most marketable players, and then the team's also playing pretty well, it, it's pretty crazy. And I always see um, when they do like the net worth rankings for teams, like they're up there usually right around or above the Phillies, um, probably mostly because of the LA thing. But what's the LA thing if people don't show up and watch a first place team? Right. Like that's, that's a great point. Um, because even the Phillies, um, depending on how they're doing, there's always, since they won the world series, it's weird. They've always been able to hype the team up each year. So it's very rare that it's not hyped, but, uh, um, there's always people there. Like yesterday at the angels field, it looked like, it looks like, like, like almost like, a a high school team was playing in a, um, yeah in a major league stadium, you know, where like all the parents and family like cluster into one area. Right. That's what it looked like. But uh, I think you probably, if Mike Trout stays healthy this year, you probably had the best pick, like the most valuable pick in the draft, because I don't see how that guy doesn't end the number one player on the player Raider. Um, he, yeah. Every time I go and click over to him, it just, it feels like it's like above a 50, 50 shot that he's going to, like get on base i know statistically he's not he doesn't have a 50 percent um on base percentage but he's just seeing the ball and i feel like he never hasn't during his career but if he gets hurt and they're clearly more cautious with them that's why he slipped in the draft um hopefully they let him lose if they're like more in the race this year than they have been they got a lot of contracts still to go in him they do um 
it's strange with, and same with Byron Buxton and Kevin and I discussed this on the last podcast. It's strange sometimes how often these baseball players are injured. It's crazy. Um, I, I don't, I don't know if somebody can figure that. Like if you get hit with a ball, that's one thing, but how are you not in good enough shape to just start and stop running? It, it's kind of amazing to me. And then when they like, it's just like a weird thing. I, I'm always like, if I made it to the MLB, like I would be the guy who runs the first base really hard every time. Like, just but, hustle, hustle Mike. Yeah. Just like, I don't know. You're getting paid so much money. Like it actually does make a difference. People panic, but then you look at it as like a business decision for these guys. Like, why would you do that? Like if I'm Byron Buxton, I'm, you're basically just walking around with glass in your bones at all time. Um, I don't get that one. It's, yeah, it, it's interesting. And I'm surprised it's not more like expected of them to stay healthy. Same. Uh, I always speculated and um, uh, like with Trout, I wonder if it has to do with like, cause I mean, you look at him like, that can't be his normal body, right? Like he, he looks like Popeye. Like he's got to yeah. be pushing the limits in terms of like what you can, like, like what substances you can use to like um, get stronger. And I'm not um, accusing him of anything. I'm just saying that like, I wonder if that plays into, um, you know, all that uh, Norwegian salmon he's uh, having to uh, get some rare proteins. I wonder if that plays into all these injuries. I do, uh, not that I have any sort of science or health background, but, you know, soccer players, tennis players, they're like the most in shape athletes, at least in my opinion, they're usually built like very evenly and minimal body fat, minimal muscle for the most part. Um, I do wonder if they just have more longevity and less injury risk. Um, because of that, because like you never see the ACLs like you do in football. And I, I don't know, it might, to your point, just be the body structure. Maybe, uh, maybe that's why that's a great point. Maybe that's why some of these guys that, you know, had really long careers are kind of fall into that. Now, like I wouldn't say Derek Jeter is um, as in as good a shape as say someone like Cristiano Ronaldo, but like he was, Derek Jeter is pretty balanced and, you know, he played a really long career and there wasn't much injury risk as opposed to Byron Buxton or Mike Trout seem once a month they're, you know, calf, hammy, uh, just quad something. It's a, it's a just, really good point. We just need a, uh, we just need that one GM opportunity for us and we'll just get a bunch of average guys. <laughs> <laughs> right you you can, time in the weight room not going to cut it on this team we can divide our um our focus you can first focus on the stadium and i <laughs> with my yeah. scientific background i'll focus on the health and nutrition of the players <laughs> and we'll, yeah. uh, we'll be a two-man uh, wrecking crew right. um, so cool man well hey this has been an awesome conversation i have two like kind of uh segments here planned out just that uh shouldn't take too long and i'd love to uh you know see uh your answer to some of these questions or what you're thinking here and uh, i know um it's always fun to kind of do this so can we run through these real quick um you still got you still got some time 
I'm here. Cool, cool. Right on. So I'll start with the rapid fire questions. Um, and I've got three of them here and I've, I've used uh, two of these before, but I just really like it, especially with, um, with where the game is right now. If you could change one rule in real baseball, what would it be? So Jason Stark put this out a little while ago. This is one of those, you know, if you open this up and it opens up other issues things, but on the surface, I would love if you could put whatever three batters you wanted in the ninth inning. I think it would just be cool for baseball that, you know, Bryce Harper, Mike Trout, whoever you're paying to see gets a shot in the ninth inning. And that would obviously kill relievers careers and, whatever. Um, but I think for baseball, that would just be a really cool thing. That would be amazing. What, um, in that Jason Stark article, was he like a big proponent of it or was this more of just like a pipe dream? This was a couple of years ago. It's always stuck with me. Um, he put out like kind of funky, it might've been an athletic article. I forget if he was there yet, maybe ESPN. Um, but he just put out like funky rule changes. I don't think he expected a lot of them to get implemented, but it went from, universal dh which we saw hit to you know something less likely like the the three uh i'll have to find that article i feel like you had pretty cool ideas that's really interesting i've never heard of that um i heard one recently that stuck with me kind of in that similar realm and it was um shorten the um strike zone but widen it so, you know, was that a, uh, was that Alex Rodriguez? It was, it was an A-Rod thing. Um, and A-Rod's ideas, a couple of them were, uh, really out there, but that one stuck with me because I was like thinking, I was like, that's actually really thoughtful. And like, that's really interesting. It is. Uh, I guess, is that to promote more hitting? I'm assuming. I, I would guess so because like right now there's so much focus on like, um obp and like like um like swing rates in certain parts of the zone and this and that that like no one's really swinging at anything um outside or or i mean there still are some players who like just can't help it and are trying to like hit out of a funk or something like a marcus simeon who's you know his like outside the zone swing rates really high and part of that's probably because he's trying to overcompensate for that huge contract while he's hitting poorly but like you know other players you got Juan Soto you got some others who just like they don't swing over there but like you can still hit the ball over there like you can still poke it um it would just be interesting to see if you widened it what would happen in regards to uh uh the game definitely and I think we gotta get the uh umps off the schneid with the uh putting the box up there and just having instant feedback on whether it's a good or a bad call. That's just brutal for them. I know nobody right. really feels bad for the umps, but if that box is so universally trusted, which it seems like it is, um, I, I don't see why the ump wouldn't at least get like an indicator. It doesn't have to be that decision directly, but at least if they know, I just think that would help a lot of things. I'm right there with you. Um, my next one here on the rapid fire is uh, what about in fantasy baseball? Uh, if you could change one rule, uh, I know we touched on this a little earlier, but uh, uh, any thoughts there? Yeah. Um, I, the win and the stolen base and I'm less 
focused on the stolen base because I do like that that brings other players into the mix for value. But there are two things that I think the MLB's grown away from and aren't as valuable as they used to be. I think when everybody tried to at least pitch six or seven innings, um, a win was a pretty good indicator if like you put your team in a chance to win. Um, but now with people just scheduled to pitch four innings and whoever the next guy is up, um, I at least feel like some of the wins I've seen this year, even on my own team, are lucky. Um, like you can pitch five innings, give up six runs, and if your offense really carried you, then you're getting a win. Um, so I'd love to see us do maybe something different with that stat. And then since we'd have to equal it out um, with hitting stolen bases, um, people don't really do it anymore. Uh, some people do. It, it just doesn't feel like a category that is as valuable um, as other parts of the game. Um, I, um, I, see what I see what you're saying there. The uh, Definitely with the wins. The win seems like a thorn in the side of fantasy baseball, just in general. Um, these these uh, um, projection systems and like uh, statistical um, uh, experts, like they don't, they can't even project wins. Like there's just no way to do it because of how fluky it is, like you said. And so they try to, but it, it's really not high accuracy. So it, I've always been there, but I'm not, and I don't know if you'd agree with me here, like. I also don't really like quality starts and I can't remember if you were a quality starts guy or not. Um, I don't remember my voting history, but they are like just really hard to come by uh, these days. And I don't, three is kind of a lot sometimes. Uh, if you get through six innings, fine, but sometimes it's who you left on base when you leave and um yeah, I, I, it would be good to do something different with those categories. They're, the game's really changed with pitching. I miss the old pitching. Um, yeah, I'm with you. I, where I don't think we're getting it back. I don't think we are either. I think we're going to see these, these middle relievers and stuff like that go much more than we used to. I, I'm with you. It's like, how do you get, how do you get amped to watch these middle relievers go three innings to start a game? Like, yeah, as, um, as opposed to watch Cliff Lee throw 150 pitches every nine innings. <laughs> exactly. It just and I thought maybe the DH would help with that a little, because um, you're not worried about that person's spot in the order. But it seems like the analytics with the third time through the order and the I mean, it's almost impossible. We should have a category for if you get over 100 pitches. Like, oh, that's a good one. There's some really far out categories out there. I like that one a lot. Um, I mean, that's like a bigger accomplishment than getting a win these days. If your manager lets you accidentally throw hundred pitches. No one's ever going to draft anyone with these like uh sabermetric managers like Gabe Kapler. Um, right. But, yeah. The um, Braves will just go undrafted. <laughs> if, so if you were to uh, make one uh, like futures bet right now, a month into the MLB season. It could be win the World Series, M MVP, Cy Young, um, uh, division winner. Anything anything stick out to you? What, what would you be uh, putting your money on? I don't know. We kind of touched on it. I don't know what the odds would look like 
here. I have to imagine they're still less than the Astros, but I actually do like what the Angels are doing. I I feel like they might actually win the West. Um, I, I don't know if that goes down as a, a hot take or not, but I don't think they were a very popular pick to win the West going into the year. I could be wrong on that. Well, we, um, will, uh, we will put you down on the record for that because uh, um, I kind of, I like that um, angels to win the West. Yeah. Um, I do. I, I like how spread out baseball is right now, but I, I do feel the cream rising. It's like hard for me to picture anybody else coming out of the NL besides like the Dodgers or Mets, especially if the Mets get, to ground back and he's a factor um i feel like they're pretty solid without him um yeah the the brewers baseball is weird man because like part of it was just making the playoffs and then the second part was actually like i feel like anyone can win at any time and yeah. now with these new rules we're gonna like the phillies phillies have a decent shot of making the playoffs this year because of those new rules yeah, the 17, it's, I kind of feel like this about the Eagles, too. It's like those rules were almost made for them. They're like middle-of-the-pack teams who should be better than they are, but now that seventh seed makes it kind of look like you had a better year than you did. Um, if the Phillies don't make that last spot, then with their payroll, it's pretty embarrassing. They are also have no prospects. Could also go to <laughs> Philly's podcast after I do my Marlins Stadium podcast. Right. Um, you, uh, you're you going to have a bunch of them. That'll be a very uh, focused podcast. That one might actually get zero. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if anybody needs to hear about the uh, the Marlins Stadium adjustments, but um, I would listen. And I think I think our buddy in uh, in Germany would listen too. That's that's really my target audience. <laughs> what do you got? Do you have any uh, MLB hot takes? No, um, I would probably, um, probably if I had to sprinkle something on the Brewers winning it all as like a, a long shot that could maybe do it. Um, but that's still not that hot of a take. They, I was going to bring them up. They feel like one of those teams that's built well for like October. Like, I don't know if they'll win the central and I guess it seems like they will. Um, I could see them not being, you know, the top seed, but I feel like they're built well. I mean, the game literally ends when Hater gets out there. Right. And I feel like that's just a huge thing in playoff baseball. It's like if the game's suddenly seven or eight innings instead of nine, just it's big. We um we went to the Phillies game recently. It was a Friday night the Brewers were in town and uh so maybe I'm a little biased by that, but uh, we got like a couple rows off the field. So like, I think we were in like the fifth row and the prices were really good. We we're behind the dugout. And I was like, oh, you can't really beat these prices. Like for, for where we are, like it's pretty solid. And we get there and I realize we're behind the Brewers dugout, not the Phillies dugout. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, fifth row is fifth row. Yeah, um, it, was, it was still nice. It was no, um, uh, it was not Miami. How do you feel about it in there, though? Because I I feel like the Phillies usually do pretty well in the beginning of the year. Maybe it's just been too cold. I'm not really sure. But I have to say, their crowds haven't looked too great. Um, it, it wasn't. Um, it wasn't packed, which I thought was kind of strange. Like, I was I – was, uh, um, uh, 
talking about how uh, like during the 08 run and stuff like that, the place was like mobbed. And then afterwards it was sold out like every game for like a couple of years. And no, it wasn't that busy, but it was still better than what you see at a lot of other stadiums. So um, yeah. the Philly faithful were there. I will say I had this, the same hot dog issue as you, man, you can't get food in that place. All the lines were an hour. Really? So, that's supposed yeah. to be, that's the punchline there. Like they have the best food situation or one of them in the league. If you can't get it, that's really disappointing. Um, there's now Mac and Manco's. That line was probably like an hour. Chickies and Pete's the same. So the only thing we could do were the $4 hot dogs. But like you, you throw back one of them and you're like, you feel like you're about to explode. Right. Right. Like, I need something. I need something else. Like my stomach's about to pop right now from whatever that was. <laughs> it's also but, like um, you get down there. It's like you, you want to try what's good. Oh, yeah. Because there's so much good food. And so. Um, and we, we were still there 20 minutes ahead of time, but uh, we're, we'll go back again. It was a lot of fun. Uh, and um, it still is a, uh, they were hitting that night and they got the win. So it was a, on a Friday night down there at the, at the bank, it was um, uh, the only way it would have been better is if you, uh, if Harry Kay was still calling the games. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, but I don't know. I don't, I don't know how you feel with the uh, Sixers broadcast. The Phillies is like the least of, my concerns right now. <laughs> I've, that's a whole nother podcast too. Um, <laughs> I, uh, so I've got this last segment here for you and I'm really excited about this one. I'm curious to, uh, to see what you would do here and you don't have to justify it too, too deeply, but uh, um, if you were, I want to, I want to run through, I want to see like what your perfect player would look like if you were to build them, like say you were playing MLB the show or something like that. Like, so for example, I'll go through here. Like, you depict someone's bat. It can be, uh, um, you know, let's, let's keep it to players within the last 20 years. Um, but like whose bat meaning like power, like their hitting style, their stance, whatever, whose bat would you pick? The person I, and I, I wish we got more trout during like when he was really just unbelievable, um, like five or so years ago, the person I was like, so impressed with all the time was Miguel Cabrera. I just, it felt like he was just an automatic hit um, during that triple crown time or right around there. Okay. I like that. Um, I totally agree with you there. Miggy's one of my favorites. All right. Then what about arm? Like they're throwing arm. And I guess it could be like pitching. Like you can imagine this is a two-way player. They're also going to pitch. Who's, whose arm you throwing on, uh, on Miggy's bat? I could go for some uh, Carter Pander and say Jeff Rancor. I remember he had a, a gun out in right field. I always appreciate like a guy who can make that throw like all the way to <laughs> base or all the way to home. Like, I, I don't want to take a picture here, but I'm, I'm trying to think of some of the Jeff, guys. Jeff Rancor is an, an excellent answer. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to sit on that. I, I just like we uh, I was out at the Padres stadium and they were playing the Braves. And we sat in right field and he like made an unbelievable throw. And it was like when he was getting kind of pumped up for having a really good arm. And I don't know, that just always stuck with me. It's got to be the worst arm somebody chooses in the segment. (laughs) No, it's actually the best arm someone chooses. That's, (laughs) that's unbelievable. I'm glad I asked this. Then what about, uh, what about legs? Legs. Um, 
I feel like the Phillies never have a good base stealer. I'll take Julio Rodriguez right now. He's been he's been an auto steal uh, whenever he gets on base, which is starting to ramp up a little bit right now. But I'm hoping he brings back some of that, uh, I don't know, five-tool player type that actually steals bases. Once he signs a contract, I'll stop doing that. But <laughs> Yeah. Um, all right. And then this is the best part. Off-field vice. <laughs> There's there's so many angle there's so many directions you could go here. Wait, am I picking a am I picking a player? Yeah, it could be yeah, player. Like for example, um, or actually I don't want to even give an example. I'll tell you my example afterwards. But I'm curious, you this player that you just designed that has Miguel Cabrera's bat, yeah. uh, Jeff Francor's arm, <laughs> and and Julio Rodriguez's legs, who's uh whose off-field vice do they have? Oh man. I'm going – this is going to be another bad one. I'm taking Pat Burrell because nobody maximized a career of not really being that good but still being a legend like Pat Burrell. Dude, we are on the same page here. I thought of that question with Pat Burrell in mind. I mean, talk about just maximizing what you got. I mean, he <laughs> had – He's part of a lot of disappointing teams. He was a high draft pick. It's like everything was going against him. And anytime you bring up Pat Burrell, like people just smile. <laughs> it's just Pat the Bat. Yeah. Pat the Bat. Um, oh, so we're going to end on that high note, Mike. This has been a lot of fun. Um, uh, really enjoyed chatting with you. And it's awesome to hear your views on just uh, fantasy baseball and baseball in general. This has, been a, this has been a time well spent. Yeah, this is great. You do an awesome job with these. Thanks, man. And uh, we'll have to get you on here again. Uh, And so uh, that wraps up this episode. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. And uh, uh, best of luck as the season goes on.